Take your Bibles this evening. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 29 this evening. Genesis 29. Let me tell you where we're going to go over the next month so you know where we're heading. Sort of finished up that study in John right there at Easter time. And uh, I thought uh, tonight sort of as a, a topical message that I want to give you. And then uh, next week we're going to look at the topic, Is it ever right to dance? Yeah, we're going to look at that topic next week. Is it ever right to dance? I think you'll find it interesting. Okay? And then in uh, two weeks, it's the Iwana graduation night. And uh, so we'll be having the uh, the Iwana club will be in here that night. And, of course, we invite you to come for that. That's always a fun evening with the kids. And then it's Mother's Day, and there's no service the following week. The last two weeks of May... I'm going to look at another hot topic, that a topic of election and free will. What does the Bible say about election? I've had several people ask me because they hear me make these statements like I did this morning about predestination. And so I'm going to be talking about that for two Sunday nights. It'll take me at least two Sunday nights to get through that. And uh, I'll share what, what I believe the Bible teaches about that. Where's free will? Where's election come in? And those type of things. We'll take two weeks and look at that. Um, at the end of May. So that's where we're going to head over the next month. But uh, let's look in Genesis chapter 29 this evening. And I'm going to ask you three questions. Or I'm going to give you three statements. And then you're going to find, as I go through this, you're going to raise your hand when you think that I'm dealing with one of those statements. Okay? So I'm going to give you three statements, and then I'm going to give you the message and walk through uh, Genesis 29. And if you think we're dealing with one of those I want you just to raise your hand if you think so, okay? So here are the three things, okay? You don't do sin, sin does you. You don't do sin, sin does you. Statement number one. Statement number two, okay? Life is full of disappointments. Life is full of disappointments. Number three, satisfaction is only found in God. Again, three statements. You don't do sin, sin does you. Life is full of disappointments. And satisfaction is only found in God. So three statements, and uh, we're going to find them in this portion of Scripture tonight. If you think you found it as we go through, just raise your hand and say, hey, I think I found it. I think you're covering it. Um, we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of the well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, where be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahar? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. Now, 
let me just remind you how he got to where we are in this part of the story. Uh, let me remind you that Abraham and Sarah had a son, and his name was Isaac. Isaac married a young lady named Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca. And Rebecca and Isaac had a set of twins named Jacob and Esau. Okay, Jacob was the younger, Esau was the older. Um, Esau was red and hairy, you remember. And uh, he was the hunter, the tough guy of the family. And uh, you'll remember that Jacob was the deceiver. Exactly. He was the deceiver. And he deceived his father, took his brother's birthright. And uh, so, and um, we know that Esau, that didn't mean a whole lot, he was willing to sell it anyway for a little bit of pottage after he had been out on a hunting trip one day, came home and was hungry, and Jacob was fixing dinner and said, listen, if you give me something to eat, I'll give you my birthright. And so it wasn't that important to him. He, he sold it anyway for a little bit of pottage. So after Jacob had done this and he uh, had deceived his father and really his brother, he thought he better leave town. His mother said, listen, things aren't real good here, so I want you to leave and I want you to go to your uncle. And I want you to spend some time at his house till things cool down here. And so that's where we find him. We find him here at his uncle Laban's house. Um, Think about Laban. Laban had, I believe, two things on his mind. Uh, number one, I think he had on his mind making money. And number two, the second thing is getting rid of his daughter, Leah. I think those were the two things that were on his mind. Um, we're going to see that in just a minute. Um, and I think in Laban, Jacob would meet his match as far as a deceiver. He's going to meet his match as far as a deceiver. So we pick up the story here, and uh, Jacob has showed up at the, at, at the city. He asks about his uncle, and uh, he's there at the well, and the men say, well, here comes his daughter Rachel right now. And he said, lo, it is high, high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together, water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brothers, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel, and lifted up his voice, and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rachel's son, and she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and he told Laban all these things. And Laban said, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh, and he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. 
Now, there's a lot of interpretations for that uh, verse number 17 where it says Leah was tender-eyed, uh, could be squinty-eyed, could be cross-eyed, but whatever it was, we know that what? That drew your what? It drew your attention to her. It drew your attention to her. Because remember, again, uh, how did the women dress back then? They dressed and you could really only see their eyes. And so a woman's eyes was very important. And here, it says here that her eyes were what? Something wrong with them. We don't know for sure what. But it was to the point where she must have been between the two sisters, what? The least desirable. We won't say she was ugly. We'll just say that she was the least desirable of these two sisters. It says, And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee, that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. So he is madly in love with Rachel. And uh, Laban says, Listen, I'll tell you what, if you serve me, at the end of these seven years, you can have her. And so he, he agrees with that. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are filled, that I may go unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the palace and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zeph, Zeph, or Zilpah, his maid for a handmaiden. And it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And so the great conniver Laban brings his daughter, not Rachel, but Leah, to um, Jacob, and he, what? He sleeps with her. He has a relationship with her. They've, we're going to consummate the marriage. And all of a sudden, when he wakes up, it's not Rachel. The light of the morning brings to him who's laying next to him? Leah. Leah. Leah is laying next to him. Imagine what it must have been like for him when he woke up and there she was as the sun came through the tent upon her. Must have been an awful thing, right? Remember our first point? Life is full of disappointments, isn't it? Do you think he was disappointed? You better believe he was disappointed. He had just worked how many years? Seven years. He had just worked seven years for this woman to find out that it wasn't even her that he had spent the night with. He thought he had consummated the marriage. And so he, he's pretty upset. He's pretty upset. So what does he do? He goes, um, he's, and he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. He said, oh, I forgot to tell you, in our country there's a rule, you can't give the younger before you give the older. So, sorry, you've got Leah first. That's right, listen, life is full of disappointments. And let me, let me back up and pick that one up. As you don't do sin, sin does you. The effects of sin are devastating. This man here, Jacob, basically was a conniver himself. And what? 
That, that saying, you know, what goes around comes around. The reality of that in his life is played out right here. What you sow, the Bible says in Galatians, what you sow, you what? You reap. You reap. And so that's what's happened. What he sowed in his life, now in a sense, God has allowed him to reap it. And so, you know, sometimes we think with sin, listen, we can do sin and we can get away with it. It's not going to make any difference, but it does. You don't do sin, sin does you. See, we, we have this thought in our mind that I can sin and, it, you know, I'm going to get away with it, it's okay. And I, I have control. For some reason, we, even as Christians, we think we can sin and we're still in control. Listen, when you're sinning, you're out of control. When you're sinning, you're out of control. And you're going to get done in by sin. That's the reality of it. It's God has built into the fabric of this life what you sow, you're going to reap. And so built into that fabric is this. You don't do sin, sin does you. It affects us and its effects are devastating. This was a devastating effect for him. He had just spent seven years of his life. And then the second thing is always Lee in the morning. Life is full of disappointments. I remember when we got our brand new Nissan Altima three years ago. And we bought it on a Friday in the fall. And I brought it up here on Saturday to Upward Football. And I parked it in the parking lot and uh, thought it was fine until one of, the, one of our sweet grandmothers who brings her child to Upward and uh, her, her grandchildren in our school. And uh, she parked her little Volkswagen Beetle right next to my new Nissan. And uh, when her grandchild got out of the car, he just took that Beetle's door and slammed it right into the side of my brand new Nissan that I just drove off the parking lot yesterday and put a huge dent in the side of my car. And so this sweet little grandmother comes over to me and says, somebody told me that that's your car over there with the temporary tag on it. <laughs> I said, yeah, why? And she said, I just put a huge, my grandchild just put a huge dent in your car. And I'm just here to, to tell you that. You know, you get something brand new, and what happens? Within a matter of what? 24 hours, it has a huge dent in the side. Um, life is full of disappointments, and that's just a little dumb disappointment. But you know, the reality of living in this world is we're going to be disappointed. We're going to go through all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of trials and tribulation. Why? Because we live in a world that is affected by sin. It's the reality of it. Why do we suffer sicknesses? It's not because we've sinned. It's because we live in a sinful world. The Bible says even nature itself cries out for redemption. It cries out for the return of Christ. Why? Because this world is sinful. This earth is sinful. And listen, even as Christians who are trying to live holy and righteous lives, we're going to be affected by sin. Just as we walk through life, we're going to experience hurts. We're going to experience hurts of people. We're going to experience hurts of loss of things sometimes. We're going to experience hurts by things not going the way that we had hoped or wished they would go. Life is really going to be a series of disappointments and hurts. It's the reality of this world. 
Sometimes, you know, as a Christian, we think, hey, listen, I should be able to go through life and not have all these problems, not have all these pains, not have all these difficulties. But the reality of it, because of sin, we're going to have those things affecting us as long as we live. And so we have to sometimes come to that point to say, I'm, I'm going to accept, accept the fact that life is full of disappointments. But even though we're disappointed, who's in control? God is in control. He's sovereign. And so those two things we can see right here in, the, in these verses. You don't do sin. Sin does you. Secondly, I put it like this. Instead of saying life is full of disappointments, I say it like this. It's always Leah in the morning. Okay, it's always Leah in the morning. That's how life is. It's Leah in the morning. And for him, that was a huge disappointment. And for us, as we go through life, often it's going to be Leah in the morning. Let's keep going through this story to get our last satisfaction is only found from God. So, Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn Fulfill her weeks, and we will give thee this also for service, which thou shalt serve with me. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her weeks, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to his wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah his handmaiden to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and he served with him yet seven other years. And so here we have him. He was willing to serve seven years. And uh, he loved Rachel. But look at verse 31, because you'll see his relationship with Leah. Verse 31, And when the Lord saw that Leah was what? Hated. You should underline that. Leah was hated. Over here you have Rachel who is loved, and you have Leah. All, all of Leah's life, she's lived in the shadow of her beautiful sister. All of her life, she's lived in that shadow of her sister being the better looking one and probably getting the attention. And now all of a sudden, she has the same husband as her sister. And who does her husband love? Not her, her sister. Her sister's the one who's getting all the attention. Her sister's the one who, in a sense, uh, that, that Jacob is giving all his love to. And... Uh, here she is having to live through this. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And here's one of the neat things in this story also, just another principle. Even in the midst of our difficulties, when we don't understand the reasons why, God still loves us. God still loves us. Even though Leah didn't sense any love from her earthly husband, probably even wondered about the love of her father. God still loved her. And sometimes with people, you know, that's the only place that we can point people to. Is listen, God loves you no matter what. No matter what you look like, no matter what you're going through, God still loves you. No matter what you've done, God still loves you. That's the thing about God. His love is consistent. And so here in the midst of this, God loves her. God cares for her and cares about what she's going through. And I want to tell you this about you tonight also, that God loves you very much and that He cares about what you're going through. And it doesn't matter what you do, God's love never changes. 
See, I grew up in a church where God's love changed depending on whether you did your devotions and what you wore and how you dressed and how you looked and how you prayed and whether you showed up on Wednesday nights or Sunday night. All those things we were taught that would determine how much God loved you. I want to tell you something tonight, that God's love is like Him. It never changes. And that's, that's something that we need to grasp, and that's something that we need to share with people often, that God's love is consistent no matter what. You know, sometimes in our walk with God, we're really not very consistent, are we? But the great thing is God's love is consistent towards us no matter what we do. And Satan tries to tell us, wow, you know, look what you did. God probably doesn't love you as much. No, don't let Satan tell you that. God loves you just as much whether you have your devotions or whether you don't have your devotions. God loves you just as much whether you pray or you don't pray. Does that mean God doesn't want you to, or it doesn't matter? Well, yeah, it matters, but the thing about it is God loves you. See, and that's the thing about salvation, like I've told you before, you know, God drew you to Himself. He chose you before the foundations of this world. So He is the one who loves you. The Bible says even before you loved Him, God loved you. Before you loved God, He loved you. And so that's important for us to grasp in this story and a great principle for us to pull out and a great principle for us to remind ourselves and to remind others as they go through difficulties in life. And so Leah conceives and bears a son, and she calls his name Reuben. And uh, I really think in these names that she gives her son, that she is really desiring to be accepted. She's looking to be accepted by Jacob. And, uh, and it says, Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Reuben, the word Reuben means, I am seen. So she picks a name for her son that really is what she's feeling. It means I am seen. She, she realizes that I think that God has seen her in this. God's opened her womb. But yet at the same time, she's looking for her husband. She is looking for the love of her husband. I really believe you have a young lady here who probably did not feel the love of her father and now does not feel the love of her husband. And so she's looking, but she's desiring that love. She's desiring it more than anything. Virginia was sharing with me this week about one of the students that she's been working with for about a year and a half now, a young lady who... Um, his biological father, when she was born, didn't want anything to do with her. He totally rejected her. In fact, wanted to say that he, she did not belong to him. And it was only through a paternity test that they proved that, she, that this young lady belonged to her. Well, her mother remarried, and remarried a guy that was pretty decent. This family is not saved, but remarried, married a pretty decent guy. And this fellow was willing to accept this girl as his daughter and really has showered love upon her. But her father would never accept her. In fact, last year, last year when her brother, her biological brother, died, her father didn't even have her listed in the obituary as a sibling. And to her, that just sent her over the edge. And she got involved with a boy at school, now is pregnant. And all, she told Virginia, she says, all I'm looking for is the love of my father. 
And if he won't love me, I'll find it someplace. And, and, I, and when I think of this, and I, I think of Leah, I think how many girls there are just like that out there in this world who are looking to be loved. Looking to, to be loved. And that's what Leah was looking for here. Looking for that love. And so she, she says, she names him Reuben. I am seen. Maybe he'll see me now. In verse 33, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called him Simeon. Simeon means I am heard. I am heard. And so what is, maybe he'll hear me. Maybe he'll hear my pleas for a relationship. Maybe he'll hear my cries that we, we can have a relationship like he has with my sister Rachel. They're always talking. They're always spending time together. He always cares about her. He's always listening to her, but he never listens to me. So maybe that I've given him a son now, and is that name Simeon means I am heard. Maybe he'll hear me. Verse 34, And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name Levi. The word Levi, the name Levi means cleave. Cleave. Cleave to me. Cleave to me. And so again, she's looking for that relationship. She's looking for that love from, from Jacob. But he still does not give it. So, so how many years are we talking about here? We're talking about at least probably, what, three, four, five years? We don't know for sure how long it was between, but, but probably more like five to six years we're talking about with these sons. And so finally, she conceives again and bears a son, verse 35, and she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And that word now is important there. You know, listen, I, I've looked to try to get the love, you know, I've tried to get the love of my father. I've tried to get the love of Jacob and, and nothing's happened. So now I'm going to turn where? I'm going to turn to the only person who really loves me. I'm going to turn to the only person who really cares. I'm going to praise the, the one man who really cares about me and who's consistent. And so I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left bearing. That means, Judah means I will praise. I will praise. Our third point was this, is simply satisfaction is only found in God. And I really believe that Leah finally came to her to a point in her life where she realized, listen, I'm really never maybe going to have a relationship with my dad that I've wanted. I'm never going to have that relationship with my husband that I really desired and really wanted to have. And so really, in the midst of this I know that God loves me and I'm going to what? I'm going to praise Him even in the midst of this. She came, I think, to a point to accept where she was. She came to a point to be able to accept what she was going through in her life. The girl was 19 years old when she walked into my office when I was pastoring out in Pittsburgh. And she sat down in front of me and uh, she began to unpack a story that was unbelievable. A story how that her mom had tried to abort her, but somehow the abortion messed up and she was born. And so when she was born, her mom didn't want anything to do with her immediately because it was supposed to be an abortion. 
and uh, she had only a half an arm because of the abortion. She only had half an arm here. And so she sat before me at 19 years later in her life after this with a half an arm telling me this horrendous story of what it had been like. Because when, the, her step, when her supposedly step-parents adopted her from the time she was five years old until she moved out of that step-parent's step home at 16, she was sexually abused by her stepfather. And as she sat across from me that day in my office, she said this. She said, I've thought about for the last three weeks how I was going to end my life and somebody gave me a card and said you were a counselor and you might be able to help me. So you're, you're the last person I'm going to talk to before I kill myself. She handed me a note, and in that note was planned her suicide. And she looked at me and she said, there's nobody that really loves me. There's nobody that really cares for me. I might as well just end it. And so I began to share with her the love of Christ and what Christ had done with her. And yes, that what had happened to her was horrendous. And that certainly, you know, she had been done in by sin. And, and we talked about the effects of sin, and we talked about the horrendous life that this young lady had led. And about three weeks later, after three sessions, she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. It was beyond what I thought I could do. I got her a woman counselor in our area, and she began to work with that woman for the next year. Today I can tell you this. She's happily married and has three kids of her own, is a phenomenal mom. And what is it? It's, it's the grace of God. Because she had to come to that point in her life, and I remember her standing up in church and sharing it with our church there. Um, listen, I don't understand why these things are happening, but I want to stand before you today, and these were exact words. I want to praise God that He took me through what He took me through in my life, because I think that that's why I'm saved today. And see, what sometimes looks like to us is God's not working. He's working in a phenomenal way. And what we would say here, here this girl's born with some type of a birth defect, you know, with her eyes squinty and crossed, whatever it was. And she has a dad who doesn't seem to love her. She's married to a man for all these years who basically has a physical relationship with her but no emotional tie to her soever. And she is looking for someone to love her. And finally comes to that point in her life, realizing that that person who is God, He loves me, He cares for me, and so I will praise Him. I will praise Him. And she had to come to that point in her life that satisfaction in this life is really only found in God. Satisfaction is only found in God. And I believe Leah came to that point. And that's why she names this son Judah. I will praise Him. And really in all of our lives, we need to get there that we will praise God because satisfaction is only found in Him. Three simple lessons in this story. You don't do sin, sin does you. It's always Leah in the morning. And really, satisfaction is only found from God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Savior, what a, what a great story in your word of your sovereignty and your work. Lord, what a, what a great story, Father, of how though we look at this as a human mess, we would look at this as such a dysfunctional family. But yet, Lord, we see you so at work 
at work even in the midst of all these things. And so, Lord, we thank You for that. Lord, thank You, Father, that we can see that satisfaction really is only found in God. Lord, the world tells us to look for satisfaction and position and looks for uh, satisfaction in looks and look for satisfaction in relationships and all of these things. But Lord God, the only place we'll really ever find true happiness and satisfaction is really in a relationship with You. Lord, I pray that as You bring people across our paths, Father, that we'd be able to share some of these things from this story with others to be an encouragement. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Have a great evening. You're dismissed.